So we're going to be looking again in the Psalms. We're in the Psalms for this month, and uh, we're going to be in Psalm 27. Psalm 27, and if you are here and you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, you can use a pew Bible that should be on your row or in the floor in front of you, and that'll be on page 460, on page 460. When I was uh, a youth pastor in Orangeburg, South Carolina, we did a trip to uh, Mexico to work at Juarez to serve with a missionary that we supported in Juarez. And um, I, re- I remembered this uh, story because when we went camping this week with the kids, they were asking about scary stories. And I said, I don't really know any scary stories, but I'll tell you one where a bunch of people were scared. And so that's what this story is about. We were there and we were actually staying on this side of the border at the University of Texas, El Paso. And uh, it was the last evening that we were there at, at the, uh, to serve, and we had told the kids, you could go out and spend some time on campus tonight in a big group and hang out together and enjoy some extended time because we pretty, had a pretty tight curfew because we had to be obviously up early to cross the border every day. So uh, they got to go out and uh, to visit campus. And a little bit later, I'm sitting in the room and the door flies open and the kids just look weird, like they'd seen a ghost or something worse. And I, you know, as a youth guy, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happened? What happens? What happened? So the girls were crying. I mean, literally tears falling from their eyes and the boys were all shook up and kind of walking around in that, you know, jacked up manhood, you know, kind of thing. And, oh. and I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, tell me what happened. And they had walked just north of the campus and they decided to climb this hill. They found this trail. You know, it's dark, so they had their flashlights and stuff. But they were like, hey, let's go up to this trail. Let's go up on this peak up here. So they began to go up there. And when they got to the top they saw some strange things. There were feathers on the ground, and there were bones. And it just looked weird, and the kid was like, it's like an Indian burial ground. And I'm like, yeah, and he goes, I'm telling you, there's something creepy going on there, man. And it scared us, and and you need to come back up there with us. And I said, well, hold on here. What did you see? We saw these bones. We saw feathers. It was just creepy. There's something satanic going on there. And we need to let the authorities know. And I said, okay, but let's wait and go back up there in the morning. There's no reason to go up there tonight. Let's go up in the morning. Okay, and I finally got them to settle down and go to their rooms. And the girls were, you know, I'd calmed everybody down. The girls weren't crying anymore. So the next morning, we walk up there. And you go up, and and you're there at the top of this area. And you're looking around, and there's some strange things. There's bones, and there's kind of a teepee in the corner. And I was like, that's a little weird. And then there's feathers and just this stuff set up. And I'm like, it looks a little bit more like a touristy area than a satanic sacrificial place. And then you just kind of walk up, and then all of a sudden you look down, and there is the University of Texas El Paso's football field. Right there. You could jump in it. And I looked at him and I said, did you notice the football field? Well, no, it was dark. And it was. It was really dark. And it was really windy. And it was, there were weird things there. And so I asked them, what do you think happened? They had let fear overcome them. Fear that wasn't there at all. 
Now, we can be unwittingly taken in by our fears and anxieties through things that are not real. Easily that can happen. At the same time, that does not mean that there are not real fears in this world that we live in, in the life that we live. And so the question is, is what real fears do you deal with? What goes through your mind in those nights when you lie awake and you're restless and you're, you're tossing around and you're turning and your mind is churning? Is it health? Is it finances? Education for your children? It might be your children that you're worried about. Family matters, your marriage, work, the state of the culture. Have you ever had days when you've just been taking over this overwhelming fear in your heart that, uh, uh, that you begin to imagine what might befall you or a person that you love? The reality is, is our futures are uncertain. They're unknown. We all know we don't control our own destiny or the destiny of those we love. And we all know that we each have that tick of the, talk, or of the clock that just continues to tick. And we know as we hear that tick of the clock that death is just around the corner. And it may be mankind's greatest fear. There isn't a human being alive that doesn't know the agony of fear and anxiety and worry. And so the question is, is how do we keep these fears from devolving into having illegitimate control over us? How do we do that? David drives us to a word from God on this urgent topic in our day. It is a word that though ancient rings true in our contemporary world, Perhaps now even more than ever. So turn with me to Psalm 27 and let's hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 27. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I, will, and I will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from mine. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your precious and glorious word to us that leaves no unturned issue in our lives. It touches everything. And so, Father, as it touches our heart this morning, may we hear it, may we receive it, may your Holy Spirit illuminate it that we may understand and know you better, our hearts better, and how to live more in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Now I want you to consider something with me this morning. Um, as you think about this text that we've just read, the psalm, I want you to consider what it would like, be like to be the anointed king of a country. Uh, or the sitting king of a country in the ancient world. What would that be like? I can imagine all the fears and the various things that would have plagued David. But if you look at verses 2 and 3, and I have no idea whether this is David's greatest fear, but he does speak of these things quite often in the Psalms as he's written these songs to the Lord and these prayers to the Lord. Maybe this was his greatest fear, but obviously in this particular passage, it is in the forefront of his mind as he wrote the Psalm. Think about what he says in verses 2 and 3. Evildoers... And adversaries assailing him. An army, any army of any nation that chose to, to line up and to encamp against him. As we saw in our psalm last week, maybe even his own son coming against him and turning people against him. They would be coming for the king to take his life, to kill him, to take over, to rule over him. Can you imagine? Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Who is your enemy? Who is not your enemy? You not only have your own life to be concerned about, but your family, your soldiers, and even the nation, the people of the nation. Their lives, their livelihood as well. How did David, David keep his fears into delving into illegitimate control over him? In this psalm, David rehearses for us the foundational truths which he exercised himself in and during the midst of any of the great dangers that he had in all of his fear. Let's look together at the text and unpack it and see what David has for us. We're going to look at several principled applications from this psalm that work toward helping us deal with our fears in this real world that we live in. The first thing that I want you to see is that there is a foundational confidence in Yahweh that will arrest our fears. A foundational confidence in Yahweh that will arrest our fears. Now from the very beginning of this psalm, the, the, the confidence of David lies not in his own personal abilities or the strength of his forces that he may command, but in Yahweh and Yahweh alone. He would have read about Yahweh's victories in the, the Old Testament Scriptures. He would, he would have known about those things as they had been passed down to him. He would have known well the story of the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. 
Perhaps even recalling the song of Moses. Do you remember the song of Moses? It begins with, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. You see that echoed here almost at the beginning of this psalm. The Lord is my salvation. He knew that the Lord was strong and mighty. He had heard the word. He knew the truth. But more than this, more than this, David had experienced Yahweh's presence personally in his own life and in his turbulent past. Now we don't know exactly when David wrote this, but from the time when he was anointed as a young man to be king, he faced all kinds of various trials. The presence of Yahweh was with him all through those. It gave him peace. He had been delivered. And now he describes his confidence by two metaphors in the text. He talks about light and stronghold. Yahweh as light pertains to the experiences of salvation and the sureness of the joyous and and glorious victory that God had promised His people. The Lord is light is the light of His people extending His gracious favor to them. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures, that the Lord is light and extending His salvation and opening up our hearts and minds. We see it in Psalm 18. We see it in Psalm 43. We see it in Isaiah 9, Isaiah 46. Uh, John 1, 4, 9, 8, 12. 1 John 1, 5. It just gives you a sampling of that theme that runs through the Scriptures. The Lord is the light of our salvation. Scholars point out that my light and my salvation press the reader to essentially the same thing as they pertain to the work of God in giving relief and victory, as well as crowning people with blessings. So as he is, as he is pointing out this metaphor, he is saying that the Lord is delivering me. The Lord will deliver me. He is the one I look to, not my own strength. Not the strength of those around me, but to the Lord. The second metaphor that he brings up here is that Yahweh is likened to a stronghold. Now, every one of us in here knows what that means. We know what that points to because we've read it in in books. Um, We've read, read about it in history books as well. We've seen movies where people were in strongholds. It was very familiar to them in their everyday life, though. It was a big deal. It was about their continuing to live. They had to have strongholds to protect their people. And that's what David points to. It's so familiar. Everybody would understand. The imagery here speaks of Yahweh being the strength of His people. He is the one providing the place of refuge for them. It is though a great army could come against them and there's nothing between them and the great army but Yahweh. How do I know that? Well, you look at the the deliverance from Egypt. What's happened? They've been backed up to the Red Sea. They're standing there. There's nothing between them and the army. And what happens? God comes between them. And then He opens up the sea behind them. David sees this. David is saying, Yahweh is our strength. He is the one who provides a place of refuge. 
And the purpose of a stronghold is to protect those who seek refuge. So therefore, the psalmist calls on the Lord. He says, you are the stronghold of my life. When I was 14 years old, I had two younger brothers that were five and six years younger than me. My mom had a high school education and had not worked in at least six years at this point in my life. It was the early 80s. Some of you may remember the early 80s. Some of you are way too young for that, but some of you remember the early 80s. And the early 80s were not such a great time. The economic issues that were still struggling from the 70s still had their grip in, in, the, in America. And, and things were hard. My dad had worked a factory job all his life. He made a fairly decent living, but not more than an average income. And I stood there beside my house and I watched them wheel my father away. I stood there looking out over the yard and I, and I was looking into the sky and I wondered, what are we going to do? Fear gripped my heart. Everything in me as I looked into the sky, I knew I can't turn back time. I can't undo this. I have no control over this. My father is dead. What are we going to do? But there's something really interesting that happened as well. And I don't understand it sometimes. I look back at my life and, and I turned to Christ and said, you are my Lord, you are my Savior at 19 years old. But I can go back before that and I can point at things where I'm like, the Lord was here, the Lord was here, the Lord was here. And it is, I'm telling you, it is almost as if in my heart I heard the words, peace be still. And I'm not telling you I heard God or anything. But my grandmother had given me Bibles as a kid. She had given me those little tracts and I read them and I knew about sin. I knew about God. I knew about Jesus. I knew about my need. I knew about... And I didn't quite understand it all, but, but there was something I think that spoke to me from the Word of God that said, Peace be still. I am your God, the light of your salvation. I am God, your stronghold. And I need you, and I can't explain it, really. And I, as an unbeliever, I can't explain it. But I knew that God, who created the world, who sent Jesus to bring redemption, would take care of everything. Didn't mean it wasn't going to be hard. But I knew it. And so what David is doing here is he is prosing for us. He is singing to us the foundation from which we have truth, salvation, and refuge from our fears of this life and the world that grip our hearts. And it is this, Yahweh is the foundation of confidence in our slightest and greatest fears. Look to Yahweh. And so, do you know Him? Do you know Him as your light and salvation? Do you know Him as your stronghold? You may know Him as your personal Savior. You may know Him as the one you come and worship. But when the rubber hits the road, when the fears grip your heart, do you really know Him and trust Him? Is He your stronghold? Your light? This is the basis. 
And what I'm saying here is he can be trusted. How do I know that? Because he gave us Christ. And even now when we look at fear in this world and we see the, 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 always the murmurings of, of war, always the division in the nation, all the things that go on, the hatred, the, the, the stone throwing, all those things. He's working. He's working in America. He's working in red China. He's working in the continent of Africa. He's working in the Middle East. Look to Him and trust Him. From this necessary foundation of knowing the Lord, the next two principal applications come to us from His prayers that, that He might have that foundational piece central and be praying out from it. That's almost what I see here in the text. It's foundational and he's praying out from it. And so what are these next two uh, fundamental principled applications for us that we should look at? Number, number two is seek after Yahweh's presence in the midst of fear. Verses 4 through 6. Seek after Yahweh's presence in the midst of fear. One thing I have asked of the Lord, he says, that I will seek after. Notice the singleness of desire here. What does he say? The one thing. The one thing. It's solitary purpose. The answer, the solution, the hope to debilitating and disrupting fear is Yahweh. The one thing is David's preoccupation. His one desire is the, is the desire of Yahweh. He sees clearly that whatever external difficulties he may have, no matter to what degree, they are little, small in comparison to the deep desire to experience more fully the presence of God. Now, why is that? Because he knows, folks, he knows that in the presence of Yahweh, who spoke all things into creation, and who cares for him deeply, that all fear is expelled. All care is expelled. Do you see how this actually flows from the foundation that we just discussed? William Van Gameren notes that the longing for God's temple expresses the intensity of the psalmist seeking after God Himself. The enjoyment of God's presence assures the evident goodness and love of God. In the act of gazing on the Lord's beauty, the psalmist submits himself fully to the experience and the beneficent fellowship with God. So what David is calling us to here is to practice the presence of God in our lives. To plant your life in, in the presence of God and, and the act of seeking Him as it leads us to what I believe is living out a deeper spiritual reality. It is the reality of being able to live above the fray and the grip and care of God. I don't know how else to explain that, except that I truly believe that, that we can live in that way. Let me give you an example. Here, here's the Jesus' disciples, they're on the lake, and the storm comes up, and they're fearful, and what's going on? Jesus is laying there sleeping. How could He do that? There's a plan for Him. 
He's got to die for us. So why is he so comfortable in laying there asleep? And they wake him up and what does he do? He stands up, he kind of yawns, and he walks to the edge of the boat and he says, peace be still. And the storm stops. This in no way means that we somehow mentally trick ourselves into believing that fear is not real. This in no way means that we can stoically face our fears in such a way to minimize them into nothingness. That is not what I'm saying here. No. What I am saying here is our fears can be real, they can be terrible, and they can be heartbreaking. But in His presence, by His grace, we are able to live knowing that He holds us in an old term, a theological term that we don't use too much, providentially. He holds us providentially above the fray of fear, even maybe as we still tremble. That is our powerful God. Look at the results as we continue in the text here that David envisions for being in his presence. Five and six, look at it. He, he says he's hid in his shelter. He, he's concealed in his tent. He's lifted high upon a rock of security. His head is lifted above his enemies and his fear. So in this, what David does is he sings praises. He offers sacrifice. And it flows out of his heart of joy. Knowing that he can be above the fray of fear in the grip of Yahweh. And His protecting presence. Do you trust that? Do you know that? Have you ever experienced that? You know, I could tell you this back when, you know, when my father died and I'm standing out, I could still see it in my, my head. I'm standing on this little hill that kind of went off the side of our house and I'm looking over that way. Um, I can't even, I, the directions in North Carolina are weird because all the mountains, I never knew north, south, east, and west until I moved here. But I think it's to the, to the east. I'm looking to the east and I'm looking out over and I, and I, can, I can tell that in God's presence, he will hold me tight to Him. And I, and I can somehow live above this. Now I can tell you as a 14-year-old boy, the next several years were hard. But the, and I wasn't even a believer. I'm just telling you what, what the reality is. I really believe the Lord held me in His grip and grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe that He can hold you in that? Thirdly, trust in Yahweh's love for you. Okay? There's a foundation of, of, of Yahweh Himself. There's, there's a, this idea that we seek His presence. And now there's the idea as we unflow it in the text to trust in His love for you. Because that sometimes can be challenging. Look at verses 7 through 12. As we look, especially in verses 7 through 10, there's an interesting mood change here that's fascinating. There appears here to be a period of searching and doubt. Uh, uh, the depth of fear and anxiety is expressed in the cry, Hear me, O Lord. He says, Be kind to me. 
Hide not your face. Turn not your servant away in anger. And I take that to mean that you know how things will go sometimes and people turn in anger against God. That's how I take that. Not that God is angry with him, but he doesn't want to be turned away and be angry at God. Because he knows the thin line there. He gets it. He says, do not cast me off. Do not reject me. These repetitious utterings communicate the intensity of his soul searching. The magnitude of his need and his fear. He is fearful. And he's grasping. And he's reaching out. And he's wrestling with his faith. And what you see here happen as it unfolds before us in these verses is that it actually strengthens him and leads him to a more determined reliance on God. Kidner notes that David gets back to the one thing here. He's wrestling, but he comes back to the one thing. And he sets his heart on it, and he holds on to the fact that the first move, the first move, after all, has come from God. He's the one who says, seek me. He's the one who calls out to David. He is the one who is the salvation of David. And if, and if that first move comes from God, then He will not ask for our love and then withhold His own. He won't do it. David drives the point home to us in this strange verse, verse 10. And it's, he's, what he's saying is, as though his mother and father forsake him, the Lord will not. If you go, I was listening to some songs last night before I went to sleep. And um, there's a song that Rich Mullins wrote before he died called My Deliver. And he says, though the stars break faith with the sky, your word is true. And what he's saying is, is if the stars decided to just run from the sky and disappear, that God's Word would still be true. That His love would still be true. That's what David is saying here. Though my mother and father forsake me, you will not. So the question for us is, is do we know that God really loves us? It's important when we're fearful, isn't it? We were telling those scary stories the other night. You know, Leah and, and Riley started wrestling with a couple things, and 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 they had decided they wanted to sleep in the other tent. The boys had slept in the other tent the night before, so we had these two tents, and the little girls wanted to do that. And all day long, they kept asking and asking and asking. And there, right at the midnight hour, sweet little Leah was saying, "I'm scared, Daddy. I'm scared." And we had to arrest her fears and let her know that we loved her. That the Lord loved her. That Riley loved her and would fight off any scary being that tried to come into that tent. <laughs> See, John tells us in 1 John 1.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You want to know the love of God? Look to Jesus. Look to the glorious Son of God. Look to the One who gave it all up and came here that you may have eternal life. Do you not think that He will love you through your fears? Trust in it. 
David understood that God's love does not necessarily spare us from trials. It doesn't spare us from suffering. It doesn't spare us from death. But His love shows us of His giving for us. I mean, even before Jesus, you see it. Yahweh giving Himself for His people over and over and over again. And that's what He did throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. But you see it fully in Jesus. Paul reminds us of this. And I wonder if you believe it. I mean, what I mean by that is, is do you really believe in the depths of your soul, in the depth of your being? Do you believe these words? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't believe that in the depth of your soul, Come to Him. As David says here, he says, come and teach me. Teach me your way. Teach me in verse 12. Teach me your way. Teach me about your love. Teach me about your salvation. Teach me about your care for me. Lead me. Lead me on the level path. Desire that like David did and see God's extravagant love for you. He will not give you up. He has loved you with the deepest loves. And He has given all of this to you. In Jesus Christ. Finally, our fourth point to look at and to consider as we've walked through this psalm to think about our fears is this. Confidently believe and wait on Yahweh. Confidently believe and wait on Yahweh. David returns here now to sure confidence. He's wrestled. He has shown us his soul as he's wrestled with this. And he's dealing with it. And now he settles back in the sure confidence. He is strongly convinced that Yahweh will come to the rescue of his people. He believes that he will taste Yahweh's goodness and fellowship, protection and guidance and victory. In the land of the living, he signifies ultimately that life on this earth in the grip of Yahweh is so much greater than that of the state of death. And what is this hope based on? What is this based on? It's based on the promises of God and on His covenant name. Yahweh, I am. And so, He cannot but let go of this truth for the people. He cannot let go of this truth. I mean, he cannot but let go of this truth for us. If you look at the, at the end of the verse, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He is screaming to us, trust Him. Wait on Him in your fears. Take courage. St. Augustine, in speaking of this text, said, he said these words, Fear is the response of the human heart 
when it's one thing is threatened. Fear is the response of the heart, of the human heart, when it's one thing is threatened. What might be that for you? Is it the culture that has turned away from God and is not only eroding, but significantly influencing the church today? Is it a child who who you fear will scream out at you, I hate you. I despise you. Is it the boss who says, I'm sorry to have to tell you this. Or perhaps a doctor who says, you only have a few months to live. David gently takes us by the face here like a little child. And he says this, remember, those are not your one thing. They're not. Yahweh is. Yahweh is. Look to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hold on tight. So seek after His presence that in the midst of fear, you, you melt into Him. Trust in His wondrous love for you as shown in His Son. Be confident in Him and believe, for He is worth waiting for. This is the Lord our God who takes away all our fear. Let us pray. Father, thank You so much for Your love and mercy to us. Thank You for the truth that is in Your Word. May it fire, Father, with a, with a holy trust, a holy believing, a holy longing, a holy looking, a holy praying to in the midst of not only our great fears, but even our slightest fears and annoyances and anxieties. Hold tight to us, Lord. And let us get through it as we trust in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has shown your ultimate love. That if we believe in him, then we will have eternal life. All things made new. Praise be to his name. Glory be to his name. We pray. Amen.